0: So the unique thing about Proverbs chapter 9 is, is that it's going to show you two different women. It's going to show you two different women. It's going to show you in, in, in chapter, chapter 9, verse 1, it's going to show you a woman a wisdom, a wise woman, wisdom, and that's wisdom personified as a lady. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath honed out her seven pillars. So what the Lord's going to show you, the Holy Spirit's going to show you is that wisdom... It's going to be personified as, as a woman, as a feminine, and it, it's a wise woman. This is, the, this is the woman you want to go to. This is a woman that you want to be your mom, you want to be your grandmother. And like, like I've taught through Proverbs is I believe that wisdom is a type of the Holy Spirit because we get our wisdom through, through the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, going from uh, verses 1 through 6 is this wise woman is described And then picking it back up at verse 13 to verse 18 is going to be the foolish woman. Look at verse 13. A foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple, and knoweth nothing. So we're going to to contrast those two women because the Bible contrasts them and you get to know them. But squeezed between these two women are verses 7 through 12. And I want to start out at verse 7. And we're going to go through these verses, verses 7 through 12, and we're going to glean what we can glean out of those. And then we'll come back and we're going to do a major contrast between the wise woman and the foolish woman. And that foolish woman is going to remind you of a lot of women in America. It's going to remind you a lot of the women that you see on your TV screen. But let's go back up to verse 7. So let's start up at verse 7. Wade's already prayed for us, so we're ready to go. So let's get right into it. He that reproveth the scorner getteth to himself shame. And he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. What the Bible says is that when you go to try to straighten out somebody who's wicked, you try to straighten out somebody who's a scorner, who laughs and mocks us, you're going to get a blot. They're just going to make fun of you. They're just going to hate you. They're going to try to do something to you. They're going to be mean to you. And and some places they'll try to kill you. And that's what the Bible's warning. When you do that to a wicked man, you're you're going to get yourself a blot. You're wasting your time. There's, you know, there's a time when you can argue with somebody, and they argue with you, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, and you, you can argue with them. If you've ever been in a conversation with, that, with somebody like that, you realize real quick, I'm wasting my time. They're not going to change their mind, as, and that they're, they're going to stay stupid, and you know the truth, and they're not going to change your mind, amen. So you're wasting your time. But if you ever have an opportunity to argue with somebody like that when there's a third or fourth person there, that maybe is indifferent, they can listen and you can give them the truth. See yeah, so what you're doing? Is, you're not going to change this idiot. I mean, he's wicked. He's a scorner. You're just wasting your time. But if you got a second or third person there, maybe that person's kids, maybe that person's family, maybe that person's friend, whoever, or maybe it's your friend or whoever it is, but when you've got that third or fourth person listening, when you're talking about Jesus Christ and they're arguing back and the Holy Spirit's using you to say stuff to them, they're not getting it. 99 times out of 10, they're not going to get it. But these people over here, they might get it. And that's worth. that might be worth your time. But my advice to you is if it's just you one-on-one with somebody, don't waste a lot of time unless you can tell they're genuine about wanting to know about the Lord, if they really are genuine about, hey, I, I'm serious, I, I, I'm seeking, I, I'm really seeking, well, then you, you don't, you're not wasting your time, amen, you're actually giving them the truth, because they are seekers, but when you have somebody that just wants to argue with you and be mean about it and hateful, and don't waste your time, don't waste your time, Jesus Christ offended them, and remember what they said, the disciples said, Lord, don't you know you offend them, offended them? And what did Jesus say? Ah, yay, the blind will lead the blind. They'll both fall in a ditch. Let's go. Basically, let's not, I'm not, you know, not going to deal with them anymore. Let them both go to hell. You know, that, that's how the Lord looked at it. So sometimes you can waste your time arguing with somebody when you could be spending so much more time giving somebody the truth that really wants it. And that's what the Bible's warning you there. Uh, Reprove not a scorner, verse 8. Lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. So what the, what the verses are saying there, verses 7 through 9, are saying, give your time to those that really want to learn. Give your time to those that really will take it in to their heart. Don't waste your time with the wicked and the scorner and, uh, on Twitter and on Facebook. And so many people get caught up into that nowadays where they're on their social media, whatever they're doing, and they get caught up in these little petty arguments, and nobody's learning, nobody's changing, and you're just wasting your time. Nobody, but in verse 9, you give instruction to a wise man. because Why? Because a wise man will take it to heart, and he will be yet wiser. See in verse 8, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. You're going to be hated. The world hates you. And your life just reproves them. Just just you living a Christian life makes them not like you. And not only do they not like you, they they simply hate you. And at the end of verse 8, look, rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. The greatest thing, the greatest thing a young man can learn is to learn how to take rebuke. That's the greatest thing a young man can learn. When a young man can learn to have somebody say, you're wrong, you need to do it this way, you need to change what you're doing, and if a young man can learn how to take that and say, okay, and take that to heart, and not get mad and not get rebellious, that's a great young man. Amen. Amen. That's why we love to send our young men. What do we like to say? When we see it, when we hear about this young man that's a troublemaker. This young man that's a rebel. And what do we what do we think whenever they go into the military? Uh huh. That military is going straight, to straighten them out. They need to go into the military. And we know when they get in the military that that old. High in the sky, the nose in the air, they got the attitude, I ain't going to do that, I'll I'll tell you what I'll do. And they want to walk around with their pants down here like this, and they want to, you know, walk around. And and they get up in the military, and they shave all their head off, and uh, the drill sergeant's screaming in their face, you're no good, you're sorry." We know as other men, that's exactly what that young man needs. Amen. And what happens four years later? He comes out of the military, he dresses better, he holds himself better, and he's a man. Because he learned in the military to do something that me and you don't like to do. That's to take rebuke. To sit there and somebody yell at you and tell you how stupid you are and keep your mouth shut and take it. If you can learn to take rebuke as a young man, that's one of the greatest things you can do. It's so good for a young man. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not the love of the Lord. Not the caring of the Lord. Not the butterflies kiss the morning dew of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. And that doesn't mean reverence. That means you fear Him. You fear Him because He could kill you. He could do all kinds of things to you. And you fear Him for that. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of it. Now, the, that begins your wisdom, and then it leads you to understanding the love of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of it, and then that beginning, it leads to knowing, because of my fear in the beginning, leads me to knowing the love of the Lord, the caring of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord, the long-suffering. So all those things we love about the Lord, you've got to have the foundation. Your main foundation can't be the love of the Lord. Your main foundation should be the fear of the Lord. He's God. He made you. He can kill you. He can kill your kids. He can take your wife or a husband. He can do whatever he wants to do. He's God. He can blow your house down. He can do whatever he wants to do to you. You should fear him. That's the beginning. And then you build on that foundation of fear. You say, okay, well, I know I I respect him. I know who he is, but he loves me. He cares for me because I'm his child. See, and you build on that. The Bible's real specific. That's the beginning of wisdom. Verse 10, And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Knowledge of the holy. Well, How do you have knowledge of the holy? Right here, brothers and sisters. This is the only holy thing you can hold on this earth right here is is a Bible. That's the only holy thing on this earth right now is this Bible. It's holy. it It gives you understanding. And the Bible says that's what you need. For understanding, the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Verse 11, for by me, what? By the Holy Bible, by understanding the Holy Bible, by God's wisdom, look, by me, thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. You know what will happen? If you'll get the wisdom from the Bible, you'll tend to live a longer life. I'm going to say something that doesn't sound very profound, but I want you to go home and meditate on this. And it's not my thinking. I'm just telling you this. I run into people all the time, and this is what they'll say about church. Well, the church is full of old people. And i thought about this, and I meditated on it, right? Because there's some old people in here. That if you want to admit it, I don't know if you want to or not. But there's some old people. Meditate on that. <laughs> yeah, the church is full of old people. The Bible says you're going to live old if you serve the Lord, read His Bible, do His commandments, honor your father and your mother. Church sure is full of a bunch of old people, isn't it? Yep. They had not figured it out yet, have they? might be full of old people because the Lord's keeping them old. You ever looked into rock and roll guys? Most of the rock and roll people, they don't live old. They die very young. And I know there's some exceptions to that rule, like Mick Jagger, who looks like he's 80, running around still trying to be rock and roll, but most of the rock and roll people die young. They die young. And there's a reason for that. Guys, if you want to live old, serve the Lord. I really believe that. Serve Him. I mean, not just be a Christian. I'm not talking about... Just, I, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. Yeah, we're, amen, you're saved. But serve Him. Serve Him. Produce some fruit. Amen. Produce some fruit. Because remember what the parable is. The husbandman goes by, he sees the fruit tree, says, there's no fruit on this tree. Cut it down. And the gardener says, no, no, no. Let, give me another year. I'm going to put dung around it. I'm going to dig around it. I'm going to put dung around it. Give it another year. And if you come back and it hasn't produced something, then we'll cut it down. You know what that's a type of? That's a type of a Christian. And God comes by, the Father comes by and says, there's a Christian and they're good for nothing. There's no fruit. And the Holy Spirit says, no, let me bring in some stuff into their life, dung. I'm going to bring a lot of dung into their life and really mess them up and see if I can get them going, get them started, get it to produce some fruit. And then if not, then you can cut it down. That should worry you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you want to, as a Christian, produce fruit. Why? When you produce fruit, it's harder for God to cut that tree down. Yeah. That's why it bothers me that Joanna Edwards, that April Moore, these people that serve the Lord have been given cancer. That, don't, that, that bothers me. Because these are people serving the Lord. I'm like, Lord, that's a good fruit tree. And you've got Christians over here that are doing nothing. They're not producing any fruit but you decide to come over here to this very, very fruitful tree and give it a disease. Now, I don't question the Lord in that sense of why, Lord, but I mean a, seriously, you wonder, Lord, is your will be done? Amen? We, we talked about that Sunday. Lord, your will be done, not mine, because my will doesn't say that. We've got to just bow down to the Lord and, and, and understand him. Verse 12, If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself, but if thou scornest, thou alone shalt bear it. What that verse means in verse 12 is, it's saying whether you're a wise man or you're a scorner, you're going to have to live with it and bear the consequences. So if you learn to be wise, were you going to be wise for yourself? In other words, it's helping you, it's going to make you better. And if you're going to be a scorner, were you going to bear the consequences? Either way, guys, we we, we, we have to stand on our own two feet. Husbands and wives, you can't be just clamoring on and hanging on to your wife or your husband. You know, you've got to be on your own two feet serving the Lord. The Lord's not going to put you and say, okay, come up here as a married couple and I'm going to judge you two. The Lord's going to come up here and say, I want you, you, stop looking at your wife, come up here, and I'm going to judge you at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to have to stand by ourselves, guys, and answer. And we can't use these excuses, well, my wife or my husband or... Man, it's just not going to work with the Lord. It's whether you're a wise man or a scorner, you will have to live with it and bear the consequences. All right, guys. Let's go back to verse 1. And we're going to look and compare and do a contrast of the wise woman and a a foolish woman. and start. We're going to compare from verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to compare verses 13 through 18. So let's read verses 1 through 6 together. Let's read through the whole verses, 1 through 6. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath honed out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beasts. She hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. She hath sent forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth Understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of the understanding. Way of understanding. So there's a wise woman, and she says, I've got this built for you. I'm building this. I, I'm busy. I'm going to send my maidens out to you. I'm crying out to you. Come on, come on in here. I got it already prepared. Come on in here. And she says, If you'll do this, If you'll forsake the foolish woman, if you'll forsake the foolish ways, verse 6, you'll live and go in the way of understanding. Now, let's contrast that from a wise woman or wisdom to a foolish woman or folly. Folly. Verse 13, a foolish woman, we're going to read from 13 to 18. Verse 13, a foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple, and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell." So you have the same woman, she's crying out, she's doing the same thing, but she, we're, going, we're going to break it down in a couple of minutes, but it turns out that she's wanting you to steal some things, steal away some things, and what the Bible says is she'll deceive you and she'll send you to a devil's hell. So we're going to compare these two, the wisdom and the folly. Now first thing we need to ask ourselves, and the first question I want to ask is, what do they do to a home? What do these two do, comparing wisdom to folly, what do these two do to a home? Well, look at verse 1. Wisdom hath builded her house. Wisdom builds a home. Being a wise woman builds a home. It builds a house. It builds a home. It builds a place for people to come home, to eat, to drink, to lounge, a safe haven. Somebody's home should be a safe haven. A home should be a place that a husband wants to come home to. And so many men I work with, there's not, not, a, lot of, but not a lot of them, but some of them, they have home lives. They don't want to go home. Yeah. The last place I want to do is go home to a woman that's going to yell and scream at them and start a fight or whatever she's doing to them, and they'll work as many hours as we can give them Because evidently, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it appears that maybe they have an unwise woman, a foolish woman at home that's destroying her own house. That's destroying her own house. And that leads to folly. What does folly do? What does folly do to a home? Look at verse 18. But he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. Folly destroys a home. A foolish woman destroys her home. A foolish woman cuts her husband's legs out from underneath them, mocks him in front of other people. A foolish woman does these things that destroys a home to where a man don't want to go home. And a wise woman knows how to be good to her husband, try to take care of her husband, make him believe he's Superman, and you'll get your husband to come home. Uh, me and Kathy were eating out one time with this couple, and this is a pastor. This isn't just some regular joke. This was a preacher and his wife, and we were sitting across the table, and his wife said, we don't do it that way. And she got the most venomous look on him and looked him down like a dog, you know, like he would look down at some kid that just spilt all his milk or something, and her husband is kind of cowed down. Just kind of, oh. I thought, ooh, man, if my wife ever talked to me like that in front of everybody, there'd be, there'd be something going on right there. And I, noticed, I know we put up with stuff, but there, there was, you know, remember what I'm talking about, Kathy, when that happened? I couldn't believe it. She did that in front of everybody. That's one thing to get in the house and say, hey, come here, and slap your husband. But to do it in front of everybody and and to make him look that way, that's an unwise woman. She's destroying him, and uh, she's destroying her home. Well, how do they act? Comparing wisdom to folly, how do they act? How do they conduct themselves? Look at verses 1 and 2. Let's look at wisdom first. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath honed out her seven pillars. What are we getting at here? Wisdom is wise. She's busy. She's a hard worker. She's wise. She's busy. She, look, she's builded. Verse 1. She's honed out. Verse 2. She killed her beasts. She's mingled her wine. She has also furnished her table. This woman's a worker. She's busy. She doesn't just sit around eating bonbons on a couch. This woman is doing the things that need to be done around the house and to get things. She's very productive. This is a very wise woman. And I can sum her up in one way. She's a hard worker. And that doesn't mean that she picks up a hammer and just uh, starts building houses. But she's always busy. She's productive. That's a very wise woman. So compare that to the foolish, foolish woman. How, how does the foolish woman act? Go back up to verse 13. Look at verse 13. Let's, let's compare the two. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. Woo-wee. The Bible's not mincing words here. Let's break that down. A foolish woman is clamorous. What does clamorous mean? It means being loudmouthed. She's a loudmouth. <laughs> She's a loudmouth. You ever been around women like that? Man, there's nothing worse than that. I'm not trying to pick on the women in here tonight, but this, just, that's where the Bible's leading us. I mean, maybe that's why I'm so excited to teach on this. Say what, Brother Raymond? Sound yeah, a foolish woman is clamorous. I mean, she's loud mouth. She's simple. She's shallow. She's shallow. And knoweth nothing. She's stupid. Loud shallow, and stupid. That's a foolish woman. Sounds like a lot of the women you see on TV in America today, yeah. <laughs> just loud mouth. And what's that lady? That Spanish, uh, might be Puerto Rican, Ascalia, the Osc- Oscalia, uh, the, uh, the young girl that up in New York that won that election recently, Ascalia Osc- Cortez. I brother Wade, he knows who I'm talking about. Y'all know? Y'all don't know who I'm talking about? That girl is just. I mean, in, she wants to get rid of. Everything, she's against everything and everybody, and she's a socialist, and she's just loud-mouthed, and, bah! and she's got more gum. When she opens up her mouth, she's got more gum than Wrigley. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It's just like, just gum for a mile, you know. You've got these big old white teeth on there. you know. Just, it just looks like she's kin to old Joe Osteen in some way or something. She's got teeth and more teeth. But she reminds me of this woman right here, clamorous, simple, and knoweth nothing. She came out with that new Green Deal. She came out with the Green Deal. She came up with this new thing called Green Deal. And uh, it, w- it was so laughable, even her own colleagues in the Democratic Party were making fun of her. I mean, it's just the most ridiculous thing. That's a foolish woman. That's a foolish woman right there. That's how they act. That's how they're loudmouthed, shallow, and stupid. Well, who cares more? you got two women, and we know one thing about women, they love, they care. There's a caring nature to a woman who cares more? Well, let's look at wisdom. Look at verse 3. Wisdom says, She has sent forth her maidens. She cried upon the highest places of the city. She has sent forth her maidens. So wisdom, she really cares for the simple. She cares enough for the simple that she's sending out her maidens, she's sending out her workers. She's wanting people to go reach them. She's seeking them. She cares. She really does care. She's seeking for them, for the simple, for the people who need help. That's what she's there for, and that's who she's seeking for. She seeks them so much, she sends out her maidens. Just like Jesus Christ sent out his disciples. Just like Jesus Christ sent us out to give the truth, to give to the lost and dying world. Jesus Christ said, I came in, I came to seek and to save those that are lost. Wisdom is Jesus Christ seeking the lost. Wisdom really cares. That's what separates out Christianity from anybody else. Christianity is very generous and charitable to those that aren't generous and charitable. You can find some charity, a little bit of charity, in the Muslim community. If you go to a Muslim community, they're like, "Yeah, I'm going to take care of this person over here because they're a Muslim; they're one of ours." You go to a Christian community, a Christian says, "I'm going to take care of everybody I run into. I don't care if you hate me. I don't care if you're a Muslim or a Buddhist. Or you could be a Christian, but I'm going to love you and take care." That's a true, wise woman. That's why Christianity always beats out everybody else because we have the truth, and the truth has set us free. Folly doesn't care. Look at verse 14. For she sitteth at the door of her house, folly does, the foolish woman, she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city. She's not out seeking. Jesus came to seek and to save. Jesus sent out His disciples. The last commandment of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to His disciples was, Go! Go into the world! Preach what I preach to you. Go and preach the gospel. He told his disciples, go. He didn't tell his disciples, okay, y'all sit down, y'all take it. Easy. He said, no, y'all go. And that's our commandment to us. We're supposed to be going and spreading the gospel. We're supposed to be seeking. We're supposed to be wise. We're not supposed to be sitting at the door of her house. She really doesn't care. She could care less. And if there's one thing I could get into some of these thick-headed millennials and these young kids is... They get so caught up in science and philosophy and the news media and the movies and music, and they I, I'll be honest with you, they don't care about you. <laughs> You're just a dollar sign to them walking around. And it's the funniest thing is these, all these people, they just suck money off of you every chance they can. They're always reaching in your pocket for money. Always su- and then whenever you talk to them about going to church, you know what's the first thing they usually say to you? All, they want, you, all that preacher wants is my money. <laughs> all church wants is money. All that preacher wants is money. While they're sitting there letting Amazon reach in their back pocket, letting Netflix reach in their back pocket, letting CNN, letting... the, <laughs> All they want is my money. That's why I don't let them pass the offering plate here. I don't want anybody coming in here that might be seeking the truth and to sit down and have an offering plate come in front of them and the devil say, "See, that's all they want is your money." I don't want the Lord. I don't want the devil to get a hold of them that way. So I say, let's just put it in the back. Don't. Pre- I don't care. And you know what the Lord's did for us for 13 years? He's gave us all these missionaries on the wall. He's took care of this church. We don't need people's money. If you want to tithe, tithe, and I praise the Lord for that. Amen. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that the world is so caught up in money they don't realize that they don't care about you. They don't care one bit about you. All you are is money to them. How are these similar? Because what's interesting about wisdom and foolish and a foolish woman, wisdom and folly or a wise woman and a foolish woman what's interesting about these two is is they're similar in some ways. And this is where people can get fooled. Now how are they similar? Well, they both cried from high places. Look at verse 3. She has sent forth her maid. This is wisdom. She has sent forth her maid, and she crieth upon the highest places of the city. Now look at verse 14. This is the foolish woman. She sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. They're both calling from high places. So... What this says is, what's, from, what's similar about wisdom and folly is they're both readily available. You go into the city, you go down, and there'll be, some, there'll be a wise woman crying out for you, and there'll be a foolish woman crying out for you. In other words, when you, both are readily available. The truth is available to you, or a lie is available to you. Both are available to you. When God builds a house of prayer... Satan makes sure to build a house of sin. You see it all the time. If God comes in and builds a house of prayer, you can be most assuredly certain that Satan, the devil, is going to come in and build a house of sin. Yes, he will. All the time. Now, y'all guys might not have thought about it, and I know we're way out here at Indian Gap, but you could have took a left and went on to a bar tonight. You didn't have to come in here. You realize... Satan has given you, giving you an available, readily available option of not going to church and staying at home and watching TV, or going to a bar, or doing. Satan makes sure there's other options, so they're similar, and you can get fooled because you say, "Well, I'm going." Well, here's somebody crying at me, and this woman's crying at me, and, and this woman's crying at me, and you can be guaranteed that this foolish woman looks really, really good. And you can be guaranteed that wisdom always looks really, really good. They both look, what do you do? They're both similar. They're both crying. Well, what's interesting about this is look at verse 4. Whoso is simple, this is wisdom now. Verse 4, this is wisdom, the wise woman. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him. Now look at verse now look at, verse, uh, look at verse 16. Now this is the foolish woman. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him. They've got the same message, brothers and sisters. They're both, the way they're similar is, they both claim to have the truth. They're saying the same thing. Verse 4. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, verse 14, I mean verse 16, Whoso is simple, the foolish woman says, Let him turn in hither. And it's for him that, hath, that wanteth understanding, she saith to the him. They claim to both have the truth. This is the scary part. The scary part is they're going to both look the same. You can be assured the devil's going to make sin look as good as he can. And we know the truth, wisdom, why, being wise, always looks beautiful. Amen. A wise woman doesn't have to dress up and have to uh, put on a low cut dress, and does she looks beautiful just the way she is because she's holy? And holiness and purity always is beautiful. Amen. Amen. And that's what you can't get around with, with young uh, teenage girls. You can't get that in their head. Holiness and beauty is holiness and purity is beautiful. But when you're not holy and you're not naturally beautiful, then you got to start putting on tons and tons of makeup, start getting some some work done, you do stuff to your hair, you do all this stuff to try to fool, to cover up the lie to make it look good. So you you can just be rest assured that they're both going to look good, and they both claim to have the truth. They're both saying the same thing. Well, how does the message differ? The question is, well, how does the message differ? Well, Let's go back up to verse 5. Here's the message from the wise woman. Here's the message from the wise woman. Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine in which I have mingled. Well, let's stop there. Bread and wine, what does that remind you of? The Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ said, this bread represents my body. This wine represents my blood. In the New Testament, I'm going to shed it for you. I'm going to have my body broken for you. This woman, this wise woman, says, I've got the bread and I've got the wine. And then she goes on to say, and it's mingled, which I have mingled. Now, when they're uh, talking about there is she would take, back in those days, they would take wine and they would uh, take just regular old wine, which is good, and they would take it and they would mingle uh, honey with it. And they'd means some spices with it. In other words, this is some really good stuff. This isn't just regular wine, like you go by and say, well, I got some regular wine here. No, this wine is freshly squeezed grape juice. It's new wine. It's really fresh, but I put some honey in it and I put some spices in it. It's been mingled. In other words, I'm giving you the good stuff. And we know that the wine, the blood of Jesus Christ, it's the good stuff. Amen. It's not, our blood cannot cover our sins, but that good stuff, the mingled wine, Jesus Christ, it's That wine that's the pure blood of God, that blood, that is the good stuff. So that's what all those types in there represent. But she says, come eat of my bread. Whose bread? Your bread that you're making? No. She says, this is my bread. She's a hard worker. It's my bread. And drink the wine, look, which I have mingled. She's working. She's done it. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. So wisdom's message is, I have prepared it, I have prepared it, I have prepared it, come eat and drink freely. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's salvation, brothers and sisters. Here's your bread, here's your wine. Jesus Christ said, come unto me, and I'll provide the bread, and I'll provide the wine. End of Revelation, the Bible says, the Spirit says come, the bride says come, drink of the water of life freely. Freely. Amen. Freely. So the message is, I have prepared it, come and drink freely. Look at Matthew chapter 22. Keep your hand here. I'm going to show you Matthew chapter 22. If you want to turn with me. Uh, This is a beautiful uh, story of Jesus Christ and the marriage And I want to show you something about this. When the king, he makes a marriage for his son. Look at Matthew chapter 22. And it's a parable by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. Look at Matthew chapter 22 and verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. So Wisdom sends out her maidens. This king sends out his servants. See how there's all these types in there? It all goes together. Verse 4, look what it says here. This is my favorite part of it. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, because he's calling these people. Behold, I, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come into the marriage. Woo, God says, the king says, hey, it's, it's, don't, don't bring any food. Don't bring brisket. Don't bring, don't bring a side dish. I prepared it. I have everything. I prepared it. Come on. It's my wedding. It's my, you come on. But they wouldn't do it. And they kept saying, by, like verse 5, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. Look at verse 9. Matthew chapter 22, verse 9. Go ye therefore into the highways. Remember that woman there? She, the foolish woman is trying to get them in their ways. They're on the, they're, these are the highways. This is what we still use that term today. And as many as ye shall find, bid in the marriage. So the servants went out in the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both, look at this, brothers and sisters, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. Praise the Lord. It didn't matter if you were bad or you were good. He said, come on. I've already done it all. I'll provide it all for you. You know, in that, in that story there, that, that the wedding, the guy that's putting on the wedding, he provided the robes. If you showed up, he gave you the robes. You didn't even have to have good clothes. He'd show up and give you a robe. He had all the food waiting on you. So back in Proverbs chapter 9, wisdom, wisdom is saying, I have prepared it. Come and eat. Come eat and drink freely. Yes, 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 yes. You know, I grew up kind of poor. And I didn't realize how poor I was until I got a lot older and started looking back on it with mom and everything. And uh, there's so much, I'm so thankful that the Lord's made all this stuff free. I mean, it's, uh, it's free, man. And, he, it, and They're looking for you. Jesus is seeking you. So let's compare that to the woman now. Let's compare that to the foolish woman. Look at Proverbs chapter 9. Look, look down at verse 17. So here's her message. There, her message is different. Her message is this: verse 17. Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So her fo- the, fo- the foolish woman's message, folly's message is: let's steal someone else's hard-earned water and food and eat it. Let's steal someone else's hard-earned water and food, and eat it. Tastes better when it's forbidden. She says it tastes better when it's forbidden. Now honestly, what she's, you know, uh, truthfully, we know, we're all grown in here, we know she's talking about going in and having sex. And she's trying to talk this man into going in with her, into her chambers, and having sex with her. And she's saying stolen waters are sweet. In other words, she more than likely was a wife and her husband was away, and we've talked about this earlier in Proverbs, but we'll kind of go over real quick. And her husband went away, and so she's catching him, and she's saying, you know what? There's nobody here to catch us. It's, it's stolen. It's a forbidden. And it's going to be so sweet. It'll taste better because it's forbidden. It's something we shouldn't be doing. And let's steal it away. Spouses, I'm going to say some of this stuff here. Spouses commit so much time and labor. When a man and a woman are married, Both parties, I'm not just talking about a woman, but a man too. Spouses commit so much time and labor to make a home work. It's not easy, amen. It's not easy to make a home work. Spouses commit so much time and labor to make a home work. When a spouse cheats, that labor and time are stolen by someone else. Now what I mean by that is, is if if you're a man or a woman, and you get caught up into another relationship outside of your marriage, and this woman's there, and says, oh, you're so handsome, and you. your wife doesn't treat you white. Your, your wife, she should be treating you better. You're so wonderful. And you get caught up into that. What you don't realize is she doesn't know that you don't take out the trash. She doesn't know that you don't do the laundry. She doesn't care that you leave your dirty underwear laying on the, on the couch in front of the living room when your mom comes over. She doesn't know that you're a pig. Because it's just the stolen waters. It's just the stolen bread. It's just a moment. It's just a. That's why it's so wicked, and that's why it's so easy. Because these people, they'll they'll sneak away, and then they'll 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 do this. Uh, they'll have this adulterous affair, and they think, oh, he's so wonderful. Or he'll think, oh, she's so wonderful, and he doesn't know that she's a pig too, you know. And then they'll leave. He'll leave his wife, and then she'll leave her husband, and then they get together, and they don't last more than a month or two. And they already break up, Maybe they might even get married. Most of the time it don't work out. Because what the truth is, you're not seeing the real person. It's just a fleshly encounter. And what we know as a husband and wife is, a relationship takes work. It takes, it takes forgiveness, it takes grace, it takes you give a little bit here, she gives a little bit there. It takes some work. And it's hard work, it's hard labor. Wisdom is hard labor. I'm saying it over and again, wisdom's about working and doing the right things and doing it the, hard, the right way, but sometimes it's the hard way, and it's work. This woman's taking all the easy ways out. She doesn't go seeking anybody, she just sits at the house. She's lazy. Oh, come on over here. She's saying the same message. She says, I got the truth, just like, if you, you don't know it, come over here. Don't listen to her. See, stolen waters are sweet. And she's saying stolen bread is sweet. And she tries to make it so appetizing. And she tries to make it the forbidden fruit. This is what Eve fell into. It's forbidden. That's what makes it so enticing to so many people. But brothers and sisters, it's, 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 uh, it's wicked. And this America that we're living in is full of this stuff. It's full of it, full of it, full of it, man. Sex is not sex is created by God, and it's a wonderful thing, in a marriage relationship. And sex was created by God for the marriage relationship. The marriage bed is undefiled, the Bible says. But that it's, it's, it's given for a marriage relationships that have developed and grown together, not stolen away in one night. God doesn't want it that way. It's not stolen away in one night. It's supposed to be developed. It's supposed to be, you're supposed to grow together as a married husband and wife, and the relationship grows, and it makes, the, uh, makes any kind of relationship you have, physical relationships, it makes them that much sweeter, makes them that much better. You get to know each other. It, God never intended it to be a you're stealing something away one night, and that's exactly what her message is. Verse 17, stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. There's pleasure in sin for a season. And then that comes to a close. And it's real, real pleasurable or people wouldn't do it. But it's just for a season. It doesn't last. If you want to have a joyful, happy life, you'll do exactly what our Lord God told us to do. Get into a relationship. Make it public. Make sure we call that marriage. The Bible calls it marriage where everybody knows you're together with her, and everybody knows she's together with you, and you have that relationship, you grow it, you nurture it, you take care of it, you sacrifice with it, you make all those things, and you don't let another woman or man come by and steal that Amen. away. And that's what she's trying to do. That's why this woman is so wicked. She's so wicked. So how does all this end? Well, it ends what, like you think it would end. Look at verse 6. If you want to be wise, and you want to go in with the wise woman, forsake, verse 6, forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. So wisdom leads to life and understanding. The wise woman, wisdom, leads to life and understanding. And then, of course, we know how verse 18 ends. Look at verse 18, but he knoweth not. Folly deceives you. He knoweth not. The world is deceived by the devil. That woman is dressed like a slut up there that's hollering at him. Oh, don't, she's, don't, you want me. Look at me. Look how I'm dressed. Look at me. Come on, it's sweet. It, it'd, be, it'd be wonderful. You, nobody will have to know about it. And, and she's trying to steal him away and she's deceiving this guy, but he knoweth not that the dead are there. If you're not a born-again Christian, you're dead in trespasses and sin. The dead are there, and look, and then her guests are in the depths of hell. You know what I read in verses 1 through 6? I read a old, wonderful, godly, Grandmother that would work and get up and take care of her husband and take care of her family. And we all, a lot of us in here have had grandmothers like that that we would love to go over to her house because she was so caring and kind and would fix stuff for us and set us down at the table and fix us some of the most wonderful meals. And she was so loving. That's wisdom. And verses 13 through 18, that's the way the world lives. And at the end of verse 18, it says that her guests... You never feel like you're part of a family. You never feel like you're part of this this group. All you are is a guest and you're all living in hell. I want to be part of a family. I want to walk in and let them say, there's my brother. And somebody come over and hug me like a brother. I don't want to be over some whore's house and she treat me like a guest. The world's got caught up in that. And they're dead and they're in the depths of hell. So enclosing folly deceives and leads to death and hell. Pretty simple. The Bible gives us uh, the Holy Spirit through the Word of God right there in chapter 9. gives us two contrasts of being wise. And, and, and it tells us if, you're wise, if you take wisdom, it's going to help you and you'll live long. If you don't, you're going to be wind up in the depths of hell. If so many young women could get a hold of this, chapter 9, and study it, how much better would this country be? How much better would this country be? It'd be a lot better. If we had some young women that would take this to heart and say, you know what? I'm going to be pure. I'm going to be a hard worker. And look at verses 13 and 18 and say, that's exactly what I don't want to be. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for these contrasts, Father. And Lord, I just uh, praise you and Lord, I just, Father, I just, I fear you, Lord, as what you can do to me, Father, but I don't fear you in the sense I know you love me. I know that you're, you're good to me, Lord. I know you have mercy you your long-suffering, Father. And I thank you, Father, for putting up for me when I'm not producing fruit, Lord. And, Father, I just pray, give us some fruit to produce through you, Lord. I ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit and let that fruit be produced out of us, Lord, that we won't produce it, but you through us will. And Father, if there's some, uh, some type in here, Lord, some, some lesson that we learn tonight, Lord God, from the foolish woman or from the wise woman, Lord, let us take it to heart and apply it to our Christian life, Lord God, as we try to live for you. And Lord, help us to be wise. Give us your wisdom through your Holy Spirit, Lord God. And Father, let us see the things that are foolish in this world. When we turn on the TV, when we pick up the newspaper, or listen to the radio, whatever it might be, Lord, when we're on the internet, Lord, let us see, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, let us see and show us those things that are foolish in your eyes, Lord God, and uh, let us only see the wise. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at indiangapbaptist.com. On the internet, it's indiangapbaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight